As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. There's no crying in baseball! I ate his liver with some father beans. I skinned. If I can change, and you can change, everybody can change! And welcome to another episode of Your Next Favorite Movie. I am your host, Josh G. And today I have a returning guest. You might remember him from the Nightmare on Elm Street episode. Please welcome back Anthony Brownlee to the show. What's up, everybody? All right, so I know we talked about your all your books last time. Do you have anything you're working on? I know as a writer, you're probably working on like 10 different things, but do you have anything oh, that's yeah. like close to finishing <laughs> stages? Well, my latest work in progress, um, it's called Fear of Silence. I actually started that book back in May of 2017 and finished it during the time of quarantine of May of 2020. And it, yeah, it took me three years to actually get a, a beginning, middle and end and took me a year to do my first round of edits. So I'm going through my second round of edits now. So I'm hoping if not by the end of this year, uh, early next year, that one will be released. And that's my kind of horror epic, as I like to call it. I wanted to see how far I could push myself into writing a really long story. And it was actually much longer than I thought because it ended up being, as of now, over 1,300 pages. <laughs> oh, okay. You're, you're trying to rival Stephen King there, huh? Right. <laughs> I was channeling him, just trying to see if I just wanted to push myself just to see if I could do it. And I made it that far. So this will probably be or it'll probably be a while before I write one that long again, if <laughs> if ever. <laughs> but I I have eight in eight in progress after that one. Eight that I, you know, have already like written down ideas for that I want to get out after this one's done. Oh wow. So to start in 2017 is that like the normal length because i know you already have six books out like typically how long are they taking you well this being your long is probably not the normal but right typically um in the early in the early days of me writing a book would take me maybe a year to write um which was my norm you know i felt like i said I, I, my first book was published in 2010 and i started writing it a few years before that and but that was my first book, so that's why it kind of took a you know a little bit to you know uh, put out. But uh, I felt like back then I just had a little bit more time. I was you know I was in school and you know I had like a part time job and you know I didn't have to be there till like ten and yeah, I just felt like you know I had more time and I was always staying up late you know three four in the morning just writing and you know now with being ten years later you know having that real job I mean you know now I have to get up at like 4 40 every morning so it's a little bit harder trying to put you know put words down as much as I did back when all right so out of my curiosity you're, you're you, like you do you self-publish like how do you go through this how what is your method to get these books published I actually go through it, well, at one point it was called Create Space, and you know it's kind of a it was kind of set up with Amazon, but they were bought out by KDP, which is Kindle Direct Publishing, and they actually publish my books for free, um, oh, wow. paperback 
paperback. But if you want hardback, then, you know, you pay for hardback and they'll set up going through your, you know, channeling, you know, with all your distribution and, you know, kind of marketing a little bit. But all that you kind of really have to, you know, really invest and put money into. I think the last time I kind of looked into it, it was like close to like maybe a grand and that's just, you know, just for one book. And I mean, I think the actual total maybe was like close to like 800, but, you know, kind of close to a grand. And, you know, and I, you know, it would be really, you know, awesome to, you know, really go that route and have like, you know, kind of like a professional setting, like, you know, doing your distributing and marketing. But, you know, just that money is, you know, just for one book is a lot. So, um, so right now I'm just doing the, the paperback route and, you know, kind of doing my own marketing and distributing, you know, I go to the cons pretty much anywhere I go. I try, even at work, you know, where I work, you know, I, um, I use my social platforms, you know, just to sell. I said the biggest wave I've made, you know, personally, um, there was a guy in Germany who I befriended on Instagram through the horror community. And he didn't know I was a writer. And I think I had posted a picture of me with one of my books or just posted some of my books and he told me he wanted to get one and I sent him the link and he actually ended up buying five of them and you know this is a guy in Germany you know so you know so usually when somebody buys my book I usually have them take a picture and just to show that they have it and you know he has all his five you know standing up there and he told me he likes to read in English because he can speak it pretty well so you know, okay. so I thought that's really cool. Somebody in Germany has, you know, my books. So, so making some waves, you know, on my own, but, you know, maybe looking into getting a publisher, maybe hopefully soon. Okay. So why don't you go ahead and tell everybody how the easiest way to find your books. Easiest way to find my books is to either just follow the link on my uh, social platforms. It should be on every platform that I have. And, if you just go right to Amazon, you would just put in my full name, Mark Anthony Brownlee, comma, books. It usually comes up a lot faster. And the only reason I tell people to use comma books is for some reason when sometimes when people put in Mark Anthony, even though it has my last name, it brings up the singer because oh. um, he kind of has like his like line of stuff. And like, <laughs> so I always tell people put comma books and then you'll find it a lot faster to just bring up the books. So. But, uh, but yeah, any of my social platforms, you should always find a link to my books. All right. Sounds good. Uh, you guys are listening to this. We have entered December. And, of course, I'm a horror guy, so I want to get someone on here to do at least a horror movie. <laughs> We're going back to 1984. I'm going to talk about Silent Night, Deadly Night. talked about film of the decade. The movie that shocked America, outraged Hollywood, and frightened the government. The movie they tried to ban. You've read about it. You've heard about it. Now you can see it in all its terrifying horror. Silent Night, Deadly Night. Rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. All right, so tell us about when you first saw this. Uh, I was about 15 years old when I saw uh, the first film. Um, I rented it from Blockbuster uh, or either Blockbuster or Hollywood Video. 
which uh, actually now I'm saying that is probably more Hollywood video now that I'm thinking about it. And uh, I had always kind of like heard about it, but it was just one of those ones that, you know, I didn't really grasp onto as a kid. You see so many covers, you know, walking down the, the horror aisle at the you know video store. And, you know, I had walked by that one a time or two, but, you know, at 15, that's when my, like, you know, really was like trying to put myself to see some more, you know, kind of horror movies and just kind of get out of that familiarity of, you know, maybe like, you know, the Freddies and Michaels and Jasons and, you know, the Chuckies, you know, just really trying to branch out more. And I picked it up that day. And I just remember, you know, turning it on and just being completely kind of struck by it. You know, it, it was what I, you know, I guess what I was thinking, what I would kind of expect, you know, from the 80s, you know, slasher film, but in a sense, it kind of wasn't what I expected. To me, it, it was really like, even though, you know, obviously it was a horror movie, it was really a sad story. And that's what really caught me. You know, you, you see this family of four, you know, driving through, um, you know, rural uh, Utah to visit the grandfather and, you know, this young kid, Billy Stokes, you know, from sleep, and he's wondering if he's going to get home in time to, you know, get to sleep and get his presents in the morning, you know, just really innocent stuff. And then short time later, you know, his whole family or his parents, you know, are locked and it's, it's really it was real. I was like, wow, like, you know, it's really sad. Like, you know, you just see the little brother who was, you know, only like one year old, like his one year old brother just crying in the back seat. And, you know, it kind of had like a, you know, really a, like effect on me a little bit, you know, even though it being a, you know, horror film, it was like, it was a sad story to me. Okay. Yeah. I saw it. I know I didn't see it until on DVD and they had put out part one and part two on the same disc. And that's when I, <laughs> I ended up buying that. Right. And that, that's when I first saw it. So, you kind of gave the beginning away. Why don't you tell everyone else what the rest of the story entails with this thing? Not the whole story, but you know what I mean. The synopsis for it. Right. That, that's the beginning part, yes. Right. So, you know, we skip a few years later. You know, the two brothers are now living at the orphanage with the, with the <laughs> which I call like the nurse ratchet of the, the orphanage. <laughs> that's but, fitting. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, you know. Yep. <laughs> so obviously Billy has a hard time, you know, adjusting to or really just the memories of what he saw, what he went through. And he, you know, doesn't seem like he has too much of a support system at the orphanage uh, because it's very traditional, very strict, um, run by Mother Superior, you know. So he grows up and you know, finally, you know, at one point, you know, was able to get a job and at a, a local toy store and he's, well, he starts working there towards like the beginning of the year and you just kind of see the progression, kind of see him kind of functioning, you know, really well, like, you know, in the real world. And then, you know, that magical time of the year starts <laughs> yeah. to happen again. And, and this time it's, you know, it's, it's a different kind of year and, you know, that year of 84. <laughs> and so basically the shit hits the fan. <laughs> yep. It definitely hits the fan at Christmas time. <laughs> Which, and, and I'll just add, you know, when he's at the orphanage, they make the point that every year around Christmas time, he starts, when he starts acting up. Yeah. Right. And the other, the other nuns try telling 
You can call her Mother Ratchet if you want. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> they try explaining that to her that he'll calm down afterwards. But, you know. But, yes, and then slashery stuff yeah. ensues from a killer Santa. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that final years, just... I said nobody lit or, you know, the people who should have listened just never listen. <laughs> so so what is it about this? Like, I guess you kind of explained it with you, how it affected you. But what is it keeps you coming back to the silent night, deadly night? Well, even though, like, yeah, like I said, it was, you know, like a sad story, you know, as well as being like, you know, a horror slasher. I just like how different it was, you know there's just something about it that, you know, I think maybe because I saw it at the age that I did when I was really just getting, you know, really knee deep in, you know, those obscure horror films, like, you know, not just Silent Night, Deadly Night, but like, no, the original My Bloody Valentine and April Fool's Day and, you know, uh, Happy Birthday to Me, you know, all these, you know, amazing, just cool slashers. It's just one that, you know, really sticks out because, you know, Halloween is my favorite holiday, but I've always, you know, loved Christmas too. Um, it's, you know, it's just one of those nostalgic years. And for some reason, that one just ingrained itself into me. And it's weird because I, I remember I would always watch it every year on Christmas, especially when it came out on, you know, that, that double DVD. I would always watch it because for some reason, my mom, she always loved hosting Christmas, you know, at our house. And, <laughs> You know, you'd have the food cooking downstairs, you know, the trees up, you know, got to get cleaned up because everybody's coming over. And while after I'd done all that, I would literally turn on Silent Night, Deadly Night in that time when everybody's supposed to be showing up. And I don't know, it was like this random tradition I gave to myself, but I never really said I had to do it. It's just something I just (laughs) always did. And like, so I would always just be sitting up here just you know, just counting it down and, you know, just watching this movie while, you know, the family's, you know, all kind of coming in and, you know, I would always get through it. And that just became like the time for me to watch it. And it just like really embedded itself. It just, just has that really cool feel to it. It's, it's kind of hard to describe and or put it in words. It's just more of a feeling, okay. I guess, you know, that type of horror movie where you just, just drawn to it, you know, and now, now I used to watch it, you know, whenever, but now just, honestly just find myself only watching it at christmas time you know the older i get it's just only you know a christmas watch you know i mean i you know i guess you know if i put it on you know any other time you know i still just watch it but it just feels more pivotal to watch it at christmas time okay so you were putting it on like in your room or you had it on in like the family room where everybody coming through no No, in my room that's definitely not one i'll be like you know i mean most of my family aren't really like you know, like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, but still, you know, everybody's kind of coming in and, you know, Merry Christmas. And then all of a sudden somebody's getting their head chopped off, <laughs> you know, or <laughs> Billy's having this fantasy about uh, the, uh, the stock girl. Yeah. Uh, her name is, or, you know, that scene popping up or something. I'm just like, yeah, that was the one that just kept in my room. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, I would, well, well, you know, with your Nightmare on Elm Street stories of how you saw those movies, you never know. You never know what I'm going to get out of you. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. So let's go into, have you seen all these sequels? I actually have. I've seen all the sequels. Okay. So let's, let's get into your thoughts on the sequels. How two works. Because they're crazy. I, I watched them recently because yeah. I, I bought the 
You know, they had the two pack of the first two, and then they had mm-hmm. the next three in another set by itself. At least that's how I saw them on DVD. Oh man, I'm at to find out where you found it because it's I've been having a hard time trying to find four and five. You know what? Uh, I got a DVD set. This was probably the mid 2000s, so it probably doesn't exist anymore. I believe it. <laughs> I totally believe it. I think it's been discontinued because I cannot find four and five. Three was e- well. Three, I have it's combined with like what was it? Uh, my like boyfriends of vampire, uh, slaughter high, and uh, repossessed. And then Sodom oh yeah, I remember. I've seen that. I've seen that set. <laughs> Right. So I have the third one and then that double DVD I have I've upgraded to the, the Shout Factory Blu-rays um, for part one and part two. But yeah, four and five are just they're like those gems that you got to really dig for. <laughs> but uh, but two, I didn't see part two until I bought that double DVD. Uh, a few years at you know several years after I seen the first one because I felt like I don't know I, I really don't think I saw part two at the the uh, at Hollywood Video or Blockbuster as far as I can remember like I don't remember seeing that specific you know cover you know like next to it or in that aisle or anything like that so that one I just didn't um, really know about until later and then when I saw it. I really like the story, but I guess what just really threw me is that, you know, the first 30, 35 minutes is a complete recap of part one. <laughs> and it's like, you're basically just watching part one again with just like, you know, those cuts of, you know, adult Ricky explaining right. to a psychiatrist, like, you know, the events of what happened. And so it's just kind of like, you know, that, that really threw me like you know so because i didn't think i saw part two till maybe i was about maybe like 20 somewhere around there so i'm just kind of like is something else gonna happen or is it just gonna <laughs> stop it you know like you know and then you know you finally get into the real story and you know you're like almost like this movie should be almost over with right now. <laughs> you know and then we're just not really getting into you know this brand new story but but once that new story did start, like, you know, I really did like, you know, the story of Ricky and you kind of see his life and how his life was, you know, affected by, you know, his brother's death because it didn't seem like he was a, too affected by the parents' death because he was so young that he didn't right. know. But he was obviously profoundly affected by Bill, uh, by Billy's death. You know, Billy died literally right, right at his feet. And you know, now just to see his story and just see like basically this curse is what it just seemed to me, you know, first it was his parents and now, you know, he's been inflicted, you know, then it was his brother and it's just kind of like this cycle that just happened and, and, you know, and it just went along again with like, you know, this family just being destroyed just because of one crazy random night on Christmas Eve. And, you know, I felt like that one was a little bit more had a little bit more horror comedy elements to it especially the scene i mean you know you got the the garbage day scene you know the class yes. garbage day huh? where he just kind of basically kills his girlfriend's ex-boyfriend for basically being a dick <laughs> like in the craziest way i think it was like electrocuting by using like the like some with the things with the car battery or something like that it was wild 
And then uh, he ends up strangling the girlfriend because she literally just watched him murder somebody and she was like all freaked out. And then he just basically walks down a residential street on a rampage. <laughs> it was just like, wow. And, you know, then he has that, you know, final climactic scene with, you know, Mother Superior, who's no longer, you know, running the, the orphanage and, you know, suffered a stroke. And, and for somebody who was in a wheelchair, she kind of... <laughs> She kind of like got away from her for a while, which I thought was pretty good. <laughs> Watching her in those scenes. Fear will do that to you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but uh, but part two was fun. That's definitely one I have to watch, too. Like, you know, at the same, like right after part one. Um, but usually, like I said, since I'm watching part one during, you know, that early time, then I usually watch part two probably like later on that night after everybody's, you know, after everybody had left you know, something, you know, and then I didn't see part three till, you know, several years after that, when that uh, box set came out, well, it was well, not really a box set, but, you know, just multiple DVDs, and, uh, you know, another one that was, you know, kind of different, you know, now it was, you know, somebody else playing Ricky, and, you know, it had I don't know, you know who that someone else is, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'll Bill be, I'll be, <laughs> the Mosley, <laughs> <laughs> Give Bill Mosley some credit there. This is channeling Chop Top here with his brain exposed on top. Right. And I think, was that was that his first film right before he did Chop Top or right after? No, oh, no, 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 no. That one was... Right was, after the Chop Top? That, that was after Chop Top. I don't know after, how far okay. after, but it was definitely after Chop Top. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So that, yeah. So, that, I mean, that one, yeah, and that one actually brought in more, like, you know, supernatural elements. You know, yep. and then basically from that point on, you know, four and five were all like supernatural based, which I think, you know, kind of happens the sequels, you know, once they kind of go on. I mean, it happened to Friday the 13th. You know, that one was if you really watch the first one, that was really just all based in reality of this mother who was just seeking revenge. And right. then, you know, now they bring in, you know, the Jason character and so, yeah, the Jason films, I felt like, you know, like I said, it they uh you know or Friday the Thirteenth in general started out as you know a reality based type of horror film like a mother who was just seeking revenge for her son's death and you know then she gets killed and then you know it was really just supposed to be that one story but you know of course sequels had to happen um, inevitably and then they kind of took on a more of a supernatural based um type of stories uh with jason now as the killer because with supernatural you know type elements in a story you know you can always play with what if and it doesn't necessarily always have to make sense because it's supernatural and we know the supernatural is something that is unexplained we can't explain it you know supernatural is like infinite you know there's so many different ways that we can spin it but it cannot you know it goes it just keeps going basically. And I think that's why some of those sequels, like, you know, Silent Night, Daily Night kind of took on that element because they could do more with the story and play more with elements of the holiday that way, as opposed to just having somebody dressing up as Santa killing people. Right. Although part four is barely any at Christmas at all. Oh yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. They have like one scene at a Christmas party or something to let you know, yeah, it is we're throwing Christmas in here. But other than that, it has nothing to do with like talk about in in name only sequel right there. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, there's a few movies that have done. I were where I've yeah. watched like, you know, behind the scenes of like, you know, certain movies and they say, well, this technically wasn't even going to be a sequel to this, but then once, you know, we started writing it and had these elements, we just said, okay, we'll make this a sequel to this film, but it technically didn't start off that way. So I felt like part four probably could have fell in that category because in a way the stories really could have ended with part three, which they kind of did, Yeah, you know, you know, once, you know, Ricky was gone, then, you know, that kind of ended everything that correlated with you know part one and part two right you know, so now these are kind of like you know brand new stories but i actually did like five over four i did too you know now that you had mentioned that um, when i did see it it i mean you know that one um it was kind of kooky <laughs> like you know with like how part four was but yeah something about that one i liked a little bit more than five but i actually haven't been able to you know like i said i haven't seen them in you know a while um, because it's been so hard to, you know, locate them. Well, I'll tell you this. For anyone who wants to see these and have it, they are streaming for free on Tubi. Yes, Tubi is a free streaming service. It has ads, but I think two through five are all on there for free. I don't think the original is, but I'll put that out there for everyone. Hey, I might be checking that out because I really want to see them. Like, I haven't seen them in so long. I really want to see them again because I'm one of those horror fans. It's like, I'm... I'm still such a physical media. I have like a big collection. My collection is like incomplete. I'm just like, uh, yeah. It's like I just have to. I like I have to own it. Like you know, just <laughs> you know, <laughs> just to have that. You know, yes, I have that movie or I have those movies. You know, <laughs> so hopefully one of these days I might can come across it. You know, I love, I love flea marketing. I love thrifting. Um, we have a big flea market where I live. I'm hoping one of these days like somebody will just randomly have it somewhere in their bins. Okay. All right, I want to talk about five for a minute, just for one reason, one reason only. As we all know, part one, one of the main reasons it made money is because people boycotted it. And when people do that, more people go see it, right? Oh, yeah. And and this included a list of celebrities. And one of the celebrities that boycotted (laughs) the first movie was Mickey Rooney. Right. Who then ends up in part five of a franchise that he boycotted. (laughs) That blew my mind completely when I, because I knew that story before I had even seen part five and that he was like a huge advocate for, you know, getting this movie banned and like thrown out. And to see him (laughs) when I finally saw part five, I'm like, are you serious? It was one of those moments. (laughs) I mean, I don't even, I don't even know the story behind like why he, how he was even convinced to do it or why he and i don't know that part i don't know i'd like to hear that story (laughs) i definitely would i mean like i said that was like a mind-blown um factor because like i said because i went into like four and five kind of blind like you know i knew one two and three like i said four and five were so kind of so obscure that i really didn't know too much of the backstory with those so i didn't really know who was like you know the cast you know the main cast of it so i that was a total surprise for me oh okay cool cool nice all right so let's do the thing where we wipe out all those what if you had gotten your own sequel back in the 80s would you have liked to seen what like like obviously the first sequel i don't know if you know the story about well you do you got the screen factory blu-ray they probably even have more details but like the producer basically came in and told him 
re-edit this movie and put it out as another movie. And of course, when you do that, there's not enough movie there. So it just has to right. add a side story to it to get it to go. Yes. So, mm-hmm. which is why, like you say, you get 35 minutes of the first movie in the second movie. Because <laughs> 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 there you go. You wanted him to re-edit and somehow release that as a movie. Producers, I guess. I don't know. Right. Uh, what would you have liked to see? Well, sequel-wise, uh, I mean, I do kind of like what they did with, you know, incorporating the brother, but I would have more or less like to seen it be more of like a mission story. Um, and what I mean by that is where instead of, you know, maybe Ricky kind of being this killer Santa, going after just random people uh, well i guess not random people but the people he dooms is naughty he goes and searches trying to find the person who killed his parent who basically you know brought this nightmare onto him and to his family and you know through that you know he kind of becomes you know very vengeful and it's more about you know hunting this guy down and it could have been where this guy, you know, maybe was he was actually a new killer Santa instead of Ricky. And Ricky may have kind of snapped and now he's in this Santa impersonation, but he's really trying to destroy this guy. And this other guy's trying to basically destroy everybody else. I always thought that'd be kind of, you know, a cool sequel because you never I mean, because that guy basically got away scot free. Yeah. Yeah. You never see him get his at all. You don't know right. what happened to that guy. Right. And I just always was like, they really could have revisited that and brought, you know, these two together. And, you know, and, you know, could have been like this huge epic, you know, kind of like, you know, Christmas battle or, you know, something, you know, especially being in the 80s, they could have done anything, you know, back in those times. But I think that would have been a pretty cool sequel. Okay. Yeah. So, I'm sure you've seen you've seen the, I guess it's a semi reboot Silent Night. Mm-hmm. I saw only saw it once. That's all I've seen it too. I haven't yeah. gone back to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you probably don't have too many thoughts on that one, do you? Because I honestly I don't remember much about it. If I'm being honest, I I really don't either. And not if I'm thinking right, that one was more. Wasn't it more a little supernatural based? I think so. Like that Santa Claus was like like. Or he was a Santa or like or you know one of those like mall Santas or something was accidentally killed or something and he came back or it was something to that effect I feel like and it, it was more supernatural and he was just and he was going after people in the town and I think I think it kind of had some of the same premise where it was people who were like you know on the naughty list and like their names would like magically appear on his list like who was good and who was naughty and if you were good you were safe and if you were naughty then he was like basically hunting you down i'm telling you you remember it more better than if i'm thinking right right honestly that that last part kind of like came like right back to me as i was saying it and that's what was making me think like it was more supernatural based because the names would just kind of like burn themselves onto this list you know and he would just kind of go at and i think maybe if they had done something like selfless or something good then they would end up on the the good list and then he would leave them alone something like that 
But yeah, like yeah, I just saw it the once and just it came on like one of the movie channels. Not and, and I just watched it just so I could say I checked it out just to see what it, see what it is because I do get really curious sometimes just about okay, let me see how they kind of did this. Um, because I mean I don't I don't dog all you know all remakes because some remakes are actually pretty good. Um, and I, like you know I can't admit that. And so like my you know just being a horror fan is just like you know just kind of just kind of see where what they did with it you know now that we're in modern day just to kind of see where the ideas for it would be i absolutely agree i heard someone say i can't remember who it was the first time but they said i, I don't put down the remake because there's always the original if it's not good it's not like the original goes right. away so right exactly hell sometimes the remake will drive someone to go see the original so it actually works mm-hmm. out so you know right can't, yeah i'm not gonna dog a remake anymore I used to when I was younger. I used to, yeah. but now I've gotten past that point. <laughs> yeah, that was me. I was one of those. I'm all about the originals. This, you know, these remakes can bite it. <laughs> I was really, you know, really one of those like advocates for the original. But then I, I guess really what got me was like, you know, I had to really think like, you know, I said, you know, Blob 1988 was a remake and it was, you know, a, excellent remake is one of my favorite horror films i mean i saw that before i saw the original which i mean i saw the original as a kid but i saw the 88 version first and so like i was really trying to put that in perspective and and the way i see them now like you know i kind of look at remakes i say how you know kind of like how the uh you know marvel and dc you know stuff kind of do it where they have like these multiverses so i kind of think of like remakes as like you know okay we like here but like this instance this is what happens with the story you know it's the same story you know different people you know kind of the same you know circumstances but you know let's what was it was it like in this universe you know kind of look at it that way you know and it kind of helps me like you know to you know maybe appreciate them a little bit more okay so speaking of let's say you got to remake this and you got to put some people in this role whether you want to gender swap i think that's i think you, no, I don't think you gender swap, but you you did some changes when you did Nightmare on Elm Street. I don't think you did gender swap because I think horror movies still need that final girl for that one. But. Yeah, for that one. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I just I just uh, changed the ethnicity. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Well, let's remake Silent Night, Deadly Night. Who are we going with? I would say for Billy, and for some reason, and I say this actor because. Sometimes when the, uh, when I see the uh, actor uh, uh, Robert Wilson, he kind of resembles this actor. Is Kellen Lutz? Okay, you know that actor. He for some reason he he reminds me of Robert Wilson. I remember watching the film one time and I said, "Who does he remind me of?" And I I couldn't put my finger on it. And then just one day, just popped in my head for some reason he resembled Kellen Lutz. And then I could kind of see Kellen Lutz in that role. You know, a little bit because, you know, you kind of I mean, I've seen Kellen Lutz. He's kind of like this like muscular guy. And then like, yep. like when you see like, you know, 18 year old Billy, he's like kind of grown up into like this, you know, kind of yeah. kind of a hawking guy. I mean, not like huge, but, you know, he's just kind of like, you know, this more of a presence. And, you know, I feel like Kellen Lutz would have that same type of presence for a movie like this. And for like Mother Superior, even. And she's gone now, but I thought like Cloris Leachman would have made like an awesome mother superior <laughs> for some reason because she's such or she was such like a chameleon type actress. 
I could totally see her being a mother superior for sure. Okay. Yeah. No, I think those work. Yeah. I would love to have seen Cora Leachman do a role like that, actually. That would be fun. Yeah. She was she was really great. And like just to see her in that, you know, maybe even take it up a notch, you know, if that was even possible. Cause I felt <laughs> like that character already was like at the peak. But, you know, if they had took it up, you know, a notch more like that, that probably wouldn't uh, dark like you know really dark Christmas and you know because I know people you know it, and even I do you know look at Christmas as a you know happy time uh, you know time to reflect you know time to be with family and you know it's supposed to be a joyous time and but there's like this dark side of Christmas that you know people don't like to talk about um, you know whether it be like you know how you know suicide goes up um, yeah. you know, during Christmas time, um, you know, you have, you know, a lot of homeless people, you know, around Christmas time. And, and even if you want to go into some of the, you know, folklore, like, you know, some of the dark myths of like, like sitting you know, like the, the Krampus and, you know, things like that, you know, there's, you know, there's this, this shadow, you know, that's kind of always, you know, there, whether we want to see it or not. You know, it just kind of hovers over us at Christmas time. You know, you just try to, you know, try to push all the bad stuff in the back of your mind because I feel like we're conditioned to do that as, you know, as early as our childhood. You know, this is Christmas time. You know, everything's supposed to be happy. Everything's supposed to be colorful. So anything negative, you push back. And I feel like, you know, we just kind of subconsciously do that at Christmas time. But, you know, as you get older, you know, when you're, you know, no longer a kid and it's not just about all the presents and, <laughs> you know, you know, school's out, you know, you, you know, you're in the workforce, you, you're out in the world, you see the world and you know what's going on in the world, you know, so it kind of makes that kind of dark cloud come more to the surface, you know what I mean? But at the same time, you're always trying to like keep that Christmas spirit there with it to try to balance it out. All right, sounds good. So let's do this final thing. Let's give that final pitch on why someone should take a chance if they haven't or if they haven't on Silent Night, Deadly Night. Definitely, definitely check this film out. One, because it was boycotted. So if you are into films that really got under people's skin, that's considered taboo, this is to watch. Um, Even if it's not your type of movie, I feel like it should just be watched because of different or other Christmas horror films uh, at that time, uh, you know, more specifically, you know, Black Christmas. But Silent Night, Deadly Night took on more of a, a slasher approach to it where, you know, Black Christmas was more of a complex, you know, in its era 70s film. Um, so the standards were a little bit different as opposed to when you're in the slasher era. So I feel like this film, it, like I said, kind of shows you more of that that extra dark side it shows you how even when time should be good it basically shows you in the worst way of just how you know evil in the way that it can be and i'm somebody who really like really looks for subtext and like reading between the lines and like i wouldn't say go into it and be a critic but go into it and just like really really try to feel what was trying to be said about this holiday, about this family, about kids, about, you know, life in general, like those elements really 
fit into this film in such a kind of, I want to say a, a, mel- a melancholy way. You know, like I said, it's kind of a sad story. I almost kind of look at Silent Night, Deadly Night as a dramatic horror story because it's about somebody breaking down after witnessing something when they were young and right. what that has done to them years later, how it still affects them. And when it goes to that breaking point after, you know, they've kind of cried out for help and, you know, nobody's listening. What, what type of impact does that create on a person and how does that change them and the people around them? That's what I, that's what I say about Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah. Sounds good. I think you sold it. I will say, I think one thing, you might agree with this, you might not, but I think like probably the scariest part of that movie is the story the grandpa tells near the beginning. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, That right there kind of sells you on it, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, Grandpa is somebody you see as like, you know, that person that you can always talk to. That you know, person you can throw your baseball with, or you know, have these you know kind of deep conversations with. But this particular grandfather is very unstable. (laughs) Basically, that's oh. Gonna have it just and because of what ends up happening to Billy just made it all the more you know significant in his life. You know, if he hadn't told that story, maybe Christmas wouldn't have affected him as much as it did, uh, from that standpoint. But right, you know, so really you can go back to the grandfather and blame him for everything. <laughs> <honestly>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right, in a way you can. <laughs> Damn you, grandpa. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up. Tell everyone again where they can find your books, where they can find you online. Uh, you can find my books on, on Amazon, Mark Anthony Brownlee, comma, books. Twitter, I'm at Ant Lost in Horror. Facebook is Anthony Brownlee. And t- sorry, Instagram is Ant, or sorry, Anthony the Dreamer. And each one of those has a link to my books as well. There you go. And as always, you can follow the show at YNF Movie Pod on Twitter and Instagram. We're available on all the podcast platforms, also available on YouTube. And be sure to come back next week as I will be doing another deep dive review. And my buddies Chad and Chris will be joining me. And we're going to talk about Jingle All the Way. So going a different way with our Christmas theme. (laughs) So until then, you guys take care and I'll talk to you next time.